You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. Hello, 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 Spurs fans, and welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. It's been a little more than two months since we last recorded an episode, and I apologize for the lengthy absence, but let's be honest, there hasn't been a lot of meaningful Spurs content since Summer League ended, and I never just want to create content for the sake of creating content. Anyways, as always, I'm your host, Nomagaro George, and with less than 12 hours until opening night, we're going to go all in on a San Antonio Spurs season preview, and in the spirit of the youngest roster of the Popovich era, we're going to discuss the oldest players first and work our way to the youngest players, saving Josh Primo for last. So without any further ado, let's kick things off with Thaddeus Young. The 14-year veteran has been an awkward fit since arriving in San Antonio as part of the DeMar DeRozan sign-in trade with the Bulls this offseason. And while he had a career year with the Chicago Bulls last season, splitting time between both frontcourt positions as a playmaking hub from the elbows, he hasn't really been able to operate as smoothly next to Yaka Pertle and Drew Eubanks, which is no real surprise given the steep downgrade in shooting from floor-spacing big men like Nikola Vucevic and Laurie Markkinen. And there were some rumors about the Suns showing interest in Young a few weeks ago, but that chatter has largely subsided, probably because there just aren't that many combinations of players Phoenix can send the Spurs that work financially while still keeping San Antonio under the 15 standard contracts mandated by the league, and their roster has been finalized at this point, so it's just a complicated situation, but seeing as the 33-year-old combo forward figures to remain part of the team until at least the All-Star break, head coach Greg Popovich will likely use him as a staple of the second unit, maybe as like a small ball five to maximize his stock for a nice trade return for a future first-round pick or some assets from a contender or someone just looking to add depth for a playoff run or something like that but with that said it's unclear how Thad might slide into a functional rotation unless it includes a stretch big man like Jock Landale or maybe Zach Collins once he returns so we'll just have to wait and see how Pop handles this clunky situation with Thad. As for Doug McDermott, the 29-year-old combo forward should be San Antonio's greatest off-season addition. Not only is he a knockdown long-range shooter, but he's among the best off-ball players in the league, finishing in the top 7.8th percentile in points per possession on cuts a season ago. And with DeJounte Murray and Derek White assuming the majority of playmaking responsibilities for the first time in their careers, having an elite relocator and versatile three-point threat will only make their transition easier. Dougie McBuckets isn't a particularly good defender, he misses rotations from time to time and can get exposed man-to-man, though playing next to Derek, DeJounte, Yaka Pertle, and even Keldon Johnson should help make up for some of his deficiencies. And while some analysts touted his three-year $42 million contract as an overpay, the Spurs probably wouldn't agree with that assessment, especially since he'll help improve their near-league bottom three-point numbers from a year ago, an area that'll be vital to their chances of rejoining the playoff picture and what could be Pop's swan song with the Spurs. Moving on to Brent Forbes, we won't spend too much time discussing the undersized combo guard. Spurs fans sort of already know what he brings to the table as a dead eye from beyond the arc. They also understand his defensive shortcomings. Look, his last in San Antonio wasn't pretty, but with Pop in the front office having time to reflect on where they went wrong with Forbes, there shouldn't be a lot of concern that he'll register the third most minutes on the team again. In fact, Forbes probably should look a lot better this season. He often shared the floor with Patty Mills and Marco Bellinelli in 2019-2020, which only amplified his weaknesses as a below-average defender. But this go-round, he'll have more room for error when he plays alongside guys like Derek DeJounte and Devin Vassell. Plus, imparting his championship experience with the Bucks might go a long way for San Antonio's young core at some point down the line. 
Although it's hard to ignore Derek White's subpar preseason, his final game against the Houston Rockets was incredibly encouraging, and hopefully he can carry some of that momentum into the regular season. I think the one major silver lining from training camp was him telling reporters he felt fully healthy for the first time in a couple of years, which is fantastic news considering his bout with COVID-19 and all of the foot ailments that kept him sidelined for so much of last season. If he can stay off the injury report, remain one of the premier perimeter defenders in the NBA, and maintain his excellence as a pick-and-roll ball handler, the Spurs will be a lot better than people think. However, none of these things are a given, especially with the influx of minutes, touches, shots he's expected to receive this season. White is one of San Antonio's most important and cerebral players, and losing him for any amount of time could drastically alter their win-loss trajectory this year. We won't spend too long discussing Jakob Pertl. At this point, he pretty much is what he is, and since he's among the best rim protectors, screeners, and short roll passers at his position, there's really nothing wrong with that. Pop talked about getting him more involved in the offense and even ran a few post-up plays for the Austrian center this preseason, but he never looked quite comfortable creating his own offense, and there aren't any signs of him expanding his range anytime soon. There's a pretty huge gap between Jakob and all of the reserve centers, so you can expect him to start every game for the Spurs this season as long as he's healthy. Jock Landale was one of the more intriguing additions for San Antonio this offseason. He earned his stripes overseas, playing for well-respected European clubs like Partizan and Zalgiris after going undrafted out of St. Mary's in 2018. And he was arguably the best player in the NBL last season, adding a long-range pick-and-pop dynamic to his repertoire while leading Melbourne United to a title. Landale has all the grit we've come to expect out of Australian big men, and his unselfish passing and solid court vision should mesh nicely with what the Spurs are trying to do offensively. On the other end, his limited lateral mobility will probably force San Antonio to play him in deep drop coverage, and it also wouldn't be all that surprising if his rim protection didn't translate to the NBA because of his minimal vertical pop. But as long as he's not a complete liability, Jock should vie for a few minutes as a second or third stringer. He performed well before an accidental shoulder to the head from Lonnie Walker kept him sideline in accordance with the concussion protocols, but hopefully he makes a speedy recovery so we can get a better idea of how he fits with this roster. Let's keep things rolling with Keita Bates-Diop. There's not a whole lot I have to say about the 25-year-old forward. He played pretty minimal minutes for San Antonio on a two-way contract last season, and they re-signed him to a two-year league minimum deal this summer. And to be 100% honest, I'm a little bit puzzled why they brought him back, but he's a long, athletic defender capable of disrupting plays and finishing at the rim. He's not elite in any one aspect, but he's fine depth insurance for a team that was short on front court depth a year ago. He's definitely an NBA-caliber player in my opinion, but I'm not sure we're really going to see too much of him in 2021-2022. DeJounte Murray is now officially the longest tenured spur on the roster, and that's just such a weird thing to think about. It used to be Patty Mills, and Manu Ginobili before him, and Tim Duncan before him, and now it's DeJounte. And it certainly seems like San Antonio is all in on their sixth-year floor general taking the reins of the offense. He led the team in usage, points, assists, and shots during the preseason, and showed a newfound ability to knock down the three ball off the dribble, hitting 40% of his nearly four long-range attempts per game. And if he can sustain that sort of efficiency while continuing to make headway as a finisher at the rim, DeJounte Murray could find himself in the all-star discussion this season. Not necessarily saying he's going to be an all-star, but he's definitely going to make progress towards becoming one. DeJounte is already an all-defense caliber stopper and vocal leader, and should he set himself apart as a scorer and distributor, his future as San Antonio's long-term option at point guard becomes much clearer. And with the departure of DeMar DeRozan, Rudy Gay, and Patty Mills, the Spurs will finally have a chance to go full speed ahead with DeJounte and Derek leading the way. There's little doubt they could become one of the top perimeter defensive duos in the league, but this season should answer any lingering questions about their viability as an offensive pairing.
In more recent news, the San Antonio Spurs picked up Devontae Kaycock off waivers and converted his deal into their final two-way contract. The 25-year-old Ford spent his first two seasons with the Lakers, but rarely sniffed the court for the LeBron-led title contenders. And I wouldn't blame you if you're unfamiliar with Kaycock, so here's a brief breakdown of some of the film that I've watched so far. Devontae, though undersized for a big man, plays like a traditional bruiser, setting hard screens, rolling to the basket, and welcoming contact as he finishes at the cup. He's an excellent rebounder with a white-hot motor and a nose for the ball, but he isn't a shooter or much of an offensive threat outside of five feet from the basket. Although he's not going to rack up many steals or blocks, Kaycock has decently quick feet and lateral mobility packed into his 240-pound frame. He will definitely spend most, if not all, of the season in the G League, which should provide Josh Primo with a reliable pick-and-roll partner when and if he spends time with the Austin Spurs. Well, Drew Eubanks told us he was working on his three-point jumper this summer, and it sure looks like he wasn't lying. He only took roughly one three per game while making them at a 33.3% clip during the preseason, but he was clearly more comfortable and willing to step beyond the arc. He also did a surprisingly good job of distributing the ball out of the post, making simple reads and executing them to a tee on his way to notching the third most assists per game on the team this preseason. As for the rest of his game, there wasn't really anything else that shocked me. He brought his trademark 110% effort Every second he was on the floor and continued to block shots at a good rate. And while Jock Landale seemed like a possible threat to his second unit minutes when training camp started, Drew is probably locked in his role off the bench for the time being with as well as he performed. Zach Collins hasn't played basketball in more than a year due to multiple setbacks involving a stress fracture in his left ankle, and as such, the 23-year-old big man is still a question mark in several ways. And with how the Spurs structured his contract to be fully guaranteed the first year, 50% guaranteed the second year, and completely unguaranteed the third year, it suggests San Antonio understands they're taking a calculated risk. If the former lottery pick pans out, Pop in the front office could possibly have a future starting center on their hands. If he doesn't, the financial repercussions are almost nothing by NBA standards. Pop told reporters we could expect to see Zach Collins sometime after Christmas, so keep an eye out for his return because he could really shake things up in the front court rotation if he lives up to expectations. And as we continue on, let's touch upon Lonnie Walker IV for just a minute. The super-athletic swingman has been a contentious topic among Spurs fandom over the last few seasons, and especially in the last couple of days. He clearly has the physical tools and theoretical skills to become a special player, but has never consistently put everything together. He's been below average at the rim, from mid-range, and on the defensive end by almost every available metric, and while he's shot around league average from three and shown flashes as a pick-and-roll playmaker, the Spurs simply can't build around him if the other parts of his game don't develop. DeMar DeRozan and Patty Mills occupied a ton of touches and minutes a year ago, and now that they're gone, there won't be any excuses for Lonnie if he doesn't produce. Rather unsurprisingly, Walker and the Spurs didn't agree on an extension when the deadline passed on Monday, and hopefully that's the motivation he needs to have a breakout season amid a contract year. And if Lonnie proves he's worth keeping around for the long haul, the Silver and Black can always tender him a qualifying offer next offseason to make him a restricted free agent. San Antonio continued to show a commitment to improving their outside shooting when they took Joe Wietzkamp with the 41st overall pick in the 2021 NBA Draft. The former Hawkeye shot 46.2% from three in his final season at Iowa, but as he's noted, the length and speed of NBA athletes have made it harder for him to get his shot off cleanly. His form is fluid, there's no problem there, but the motion is honestly a little slow and Wieskamp had more than a few shots blocked or altered during summer league and preseason. And despite his solid measurements at the Combine, like a 42-inch vertical, Joe's athleticism hasn't been all that functional unless given an undeterred runway. Defensively, things haven't been great for the 22-year-old rookie, but Pop in the front office signed the 6'6 swingman to a two-way contract, so hopefully he'll continue speeding up his release and working on other aspects of his game when he suits up for the Austin Spurs this season. 
Kelton has seen a meteoric rise ever since he broke into the rotation during the NBA bubble a little over a year ago. Not only has he garnered rising star honors while becoming the first Spurs since Tim Duncan to post a 20-point, 20-rebound game, but he joined a stacked lineup of living legends at the 2020 Olympics as head coach Greg Popovich and Team USA took home yet another gold medal for the red, white, and blue. That said, Johnson must make more headway as a ball handler, distributor, shooter, and scorer to take the leap into face of the franchise territory. But for right now, the third-year wing is still on an impressive trajectory. He finished second in scoring and shot attempts for the Spurs during the preseason, breaking out a few new moves and getting to the free throw line with stunning frequency, which is always a promising sign. And while he struggled with efficiency virtually everywhere but at the rim, Kelton is poised to have the touches and minutes necessary to make a run at the Most Improved Player of the Year award. It's an absolute travesty that Trey Jones sprained his ankle at the beginning of training camp after a stellar summer league breakout campaign. And despite spending most of his rookie year glued to the bench, San Antonio's 2022nd rounder excelled as one of the surprise stars of the G League bubble last season. Of course, he wasn't perfect. Jones scored almost 80% of his points at the rim, rarely taking a shot from the mid-range and virtually never letting it fly from beyond the arc. And apparently, Jones hurt his critics. He displayed three-level scoring ability in Las Vegas while distributing the ball at a high level. And with Patty Mills signing in Brooklyn, it appeared as though Trait might have secured his spot as the second unit point guard, but now his role isn't so obvious. Pop told reporters the second year floor general would likely be ready to go for San Antonio's season opener, but whether or not he plays significant minutes is still up in the air. While I think he should still get backup duties once healthy, Bryn Forbes and possibly even Josh Primo stand in the way between him and consistent run. As we move on to San Antonio's 2020 lottery pick, Devin Vassell, there's definitely a much clearer avenue for him to earn minutes. A nagging hamstring injury cut his summer league breakout short, but after a strong preseason highlighted by an increased dose of self-created offense, Vassell could be in line to close the perceived gap between him and 12th overall pick Tyrese Halliburton. Devin hit several mid-range jumpers off the dribble, increased his volume of three-point attempts, and brought more of that same suffocating defense that made the Spurs fall in love with him during the pre-draft process. Vassell was often the fourth option off the bench in a weird rookie season that was drastically altered by COVID-19, but with a year in the system and a full training camp under his belt, don't be shocked if you hear his name enter the Most Improved Player of the Year award race at some point this season. Last, but certainly not least, we have Josh Primo. San Antonio's 2021 lottery pick was almost universally panned on draft night, but he has since become a favorite among the Spurs faithful after electrifying stints between Summer League and the preseason. As much as fans want to see Primo in the NBA right away, Pop in the front office will most likely send him to the G League to start the season, which in my opinion probably isn't a bad decision. Primo almost exclusively played in garbage time against fringe NBA-level competition during the preseason, and while his poise and confidence were absolutely undeniable, it's easy to get carried away after watching what basically amounts to glorified scrimmages. Primo captured our imagination across five exhibition outings, and he might be able to do so much more if given the limitless shots, touches, minutes, and on-ball reps to learn how to properly run a professional offense with the Austin Spurs. The best way to hone your skills is to put them into action, and unfortunately, with how San Antonio is constructed, Primo would probably be relegated to a primarily off-ball role even if he broke into the rotation. That said, he looks ready to contribute in at least some capacity this season, so I wouldn't bet against him earning minutes with the big league club sometime around the All-Star break. Before we move on, let's briefly cover the Spurs waving Luka Shamanic and Al Farouk Aminu. The latter was always the most logical player to get booted from the roster, so it wasn't much of a shock to see San Antonio part ways with Aminu. But waving Luka Shamanic, that was a tough pill to swallow for everyone involved. For the Spurs, it was a direct admission that they made the wrong choice with the 19th overall pick just two years ago. For Shamanic, I'm sure it was disappointing news for a guy who still hasn't carved out a concrete spot in the NBA. 
And for some fans, I'm sure it was proof San Antonio should have drafted someone like Matisse Thybul, Brandon Clark, Jordan Poole, Kevin Porter Jr., or really any number of other prospects. But at the end of the day, both parties were responsible for how things played out. Did Luka ever get enough opportunities to show his worth in the NBA? Probably not. But did Luka also have effort and body language issues that kept him from earning minutes? Sure. And giving up on a play when Cole Anthony was still within arm's reach was likely the final straw for head coach Greg Popovich, and it's hard to blame him. It was an unfortunate situation all around, but Luka has signed a two-way contract with the New York Knicks in hopes of a new beginning in the NBA, and it's time to move on and focus on the players who are still here. San Antonio's final roster is set, and the Spurs are set to open their season in less than 12 hours, so fans should be very excited. There may not be very many wins, and it may be a little clunky at times, but it's going to be a season full of unknowns, full of uncharted territory, and that's always exciting. But with all the player reviews out of the way, let's wrap things up by hitting on a few key statistics and making a couple of predictions. Head coach Greg Popovich talked about how he wanted the Spurs to play with more pace and shoot more threes during media day, and that really shouldn't be a tall task considering they finished at or near the bottom of the NBA in almost every three-point category and about right in the middle of the league in pace a year ago. San Antonio shot 35.8 threes per game in the preseason, seven more than a year ago, and that would be a franchise record for threes per game if they maintain that volume. As for pace, the Spurs finished 20th in that category this preseason, bringing them down five spots from a year ago. However, with all the lineup and spare it's difficult to determine how closely that'll line up with how fast they actually want to play this season. And the Spurs operated at the fastest pace in the league in their final tune-up against the Houston Rockets, so perhaps that's more indicative of their plans. And if I had to guess, the Spurs will probably finish in the middle of the NBA in three-point volume, top 10 in pace, and maybe top five in mid-range attempts, seeing as that was still a huge part of their offense this preseason. Defense was another point of emphasis for Pop during training camp, and the Spurs have the personnel to keep teams off the scoreboard. San Antonio ranked 8th in defensive rating this preseason, and I really don't think that's a fluke. Between DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Yaka Pirtle, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker IV, Drew Eubanks, Thaddeus Young, and Keita Bates-Diop, and maybe somebody else who I'm forgetting at the moment, the Silver and Black have plenty of switchable, versatile, and tough-nosed defenders who take pride in their work on that end of the court. Much like last year's New York Knicks, defense will be San Antonio's calling card and I expect them to have a top 10 defensive rating for the first time since 2018. Pop openly acknowledged the Spurs don't have a quote-unquote superstar on this team, but quickly noted how that isn't a bad thing, saying their lack of ball stoppers should improve their ball movement. Although San Antonio wasn't really an isolation-heavy team last season, they somehow ranked 28th in passes made. And that's probably due to rostering quite a few high-usage players, but without a proven go-to option on offense, the Spurs will have to swing the ball around the horn to generate good looks. That should lead to an influx of passes, which is why I think they should be closer to the top of the league in passes made this season, even if they struggle to score in the half court at times. And here are some final general predictions. I think DeJounte Murray will lead the team in scoring and average at or near 20 points per game. I also expect one of DeJounte or Derek to earn all defensive honors at the end of the year. I also think Josh Primo will have a pretty good chance to tie San Antonio's single game record for threes made by a rookie. That number stands at six, and just with how confidently and accurately he shot the ball from the corner above the break, just letting it fly with no hesitation, if this kid gets into a game for 30 minutes and gets hot, I can really easily see him doing something like 
like making six, seven threes in a game. So I'm pretty confident in that prediction. And I also think Doug McDermott will become the first player in franchise history to make 200 threes in a single season. And that's not because I think he's necessarily the best outright shooter on the team. I think that title probably still goes to Bryn Forbes, but he's a guy who's going to be in the starting lineup. He's going to have the touches, the shots, the minutes necessary to do something like this. So I'm also pretty confident in this prediction. And I've been sort of dreading this last prediction, or at least telling everybody this last prediction, because I think the San Antonio Spurs will finish 34 and 48 and earn their first top 10 pick since Tim Duncan. And if it ends up being, you know, a top five pick, that's even better. And I know that this team is not a bad team. They're not going to be awful. I don't think that they're going to be a train wreck, but I do think just given the context of the roster, a a team that probably is going to struggle a little bit scoring in the half court, a team that I do believe will be a really good defensive team, but still might struggle a little bit to shoot the three ball with any sort of consistency, with a lot of volume, even if they do raise their volume. Young teams in the NBA and the San Antonio Spurs are the fourth youngest team in the league this season. Historically, they just don't win many games. And that's especially true when that team doesn't have a superstar. And I know that superstars aren't the be-all, end-all of everything in the NBA by some people's standards. But in my opinion, and what the data says is superstars, all-stars, those sort of players, they're the driving force behind playoff runs. And the Spurs simply don't have one of those guys right now. And maybe somebody breaks out. Like I mentioned, DeJounte Murray, I think he could take another leap this season if that three-point shooting that he showed during the preseason holds. But for right now, they they just don't have a guy. And I love DeJounte Murray and Derek White and Keldon Johnson. I think it's a really fun group. And at the end of the day, This season should be a season of learning. This should be a season where we figure out, where the front office figures out, where these players figure out, you know, who who are they? Who's worth keeping around? Who can they possibly build around? Or what direction do they need to start heading in? And I think this is going to be a really fun season, just regardless of wins or losses, because they're going to play fast. They're going to shoot more threes. They're going to be running in transition. They're going to be playing probably some of the best defense we've seen in quite some time. But I think that about does it for this season preview. So thanks for tuning in to this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a fantastic job of keeping everyone up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.